0: Thank you, Lorenzo. Appreciate that. Um, I'm new to the Alliance, mm-hmm. and I'm starting my licensing process, um, doing some research, and it just dawned on me. This is just life in general. This is a statement for life. You don't really know where you're going until you understand where you're coming from, you know where you're at. You know, if you get on Google, if you get on Google Maps and you just type in an address and ask for directions, if you don't know where you're currently located, it's hard to go where you need to go. And so that's where my thoughts for this sermon series for the next seven weeks, you'll be predominantly seeing me. And I had a ton of ideas on things I wanted to do for the church, start getting more people into this room. But. The Holy Spirit just wouldn't let me rest on that. Like, I was really like, okay, what kind of marketing scheme do we need to do? Do we need to start knocking on doors? Do we need to, like, what do we need to do to help this church grow? There are tons of churches helping people that are growing for the sake of growing. But we all know that all growth isn't good growth, right? <laughs> uh, some of us probably look a little different in our high school pictures, Right? All growth isn't good growth. And so before we start adding more complexity to this space in this congregation, I thought it was appropriate for us to just reevaluate who are we? And that is we have to come to the basics all the way down to the, the, the foundation before we start building, like, who, you know, the parable. Who considers building a house but doesn't count the cost? Who goes to war? Don't have enough bullets, band-aids, have enough food. Who, 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 who goes to endeavor to do a thing without first thinking through the, the possibilities? And I think before we... Open up this next chapter of what's going to make hope, hope for the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Long after we all take our last breath, that this church still remains, it's healthy, and it's focused on kingdom principles. Amen? So let's, we're going to start with the basics, and we're going to be going through some of the values of the Alliance if you go online and look, and look for the seven core values of Alliance, you'll find it on various websites. It's not on the national office website, but if you look, you'll find it. And I was like, I love these values. So today we're going to be talking about the first value, which is lost people matter to God. He wants them found. And they use Luke 19.10 as a reference. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 19 in context. And then we're going to pray and ask God to do the heavy lifting. All right. So Luke chapter 19, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. So this is Jesus. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on an account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. I know the struggle, brother. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Licaeus, hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when he saw it, they all grumbled. He's going to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, the whole Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come this house since he also is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and save the lost if you go back and look at Luke chapter 18 another rich dude runs up to Jesus what must I do to be saved but he fails because he walked away because he had great riches. And everybody said, you know, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle. I mean, there's a historical context today, that, but it was still hard. Because the eye of a needle is the way you get into, uh, there's like a, to prevent armies from rushing into a city. Uh, they have this thing called the eye of a needle. That's when you had to take everything off your camel so the camel could come in. Camel couldn't bring all the stuff and you couldn't bring weapons and everything in. And so the camel could barely squeezed through to get into the city. What Jesus was saying is you can't bring all your stuff with you into his kingdom. And they were like, the eye of the needle. So they know how hard it is. Man, like how can anybody get into heaven? I even think, you can think of it even literally like, man, you can't shove a needle through the eye, you know, you can't shove a camel through the eye of a needle. But here it is where the rich young ruler fails, Zacchaeus succeeds so it's not impossible it's only possible with god so let us pray lord you love us and your word which is sweeter than the honey from the honeycomb we want to talk about your way to win you have won us and somebody in here may not have experienced this winning so lord we pray through the power of your spirit that you reignite a flame in us, and that you start one in somebody else. In Jesus' name. Amen. So this story of Zacchaeus is in Jericho. And I think y- y'all know I love the Old Testament. I- I'm an old testament, I- I'm an Old Testament guy. A lot of pastors like to run away from it. To me, I see God through it all. I see. I see correlations. Uh, The big thing you don't want to do when it comes to the Old Testament, you don't want to read yourself into the story. You're not David. Jesus is the greater David. You know, you're not throwing the stones at the the glides in your life. You're you're not the main character. So let's get away from that. All the Old Testament patriarchs all point to one person. That's Jesus. Amen? Amen. All these, he's the main character of the story. So before you sit and look at the Old Testament and and read yourself into the narrative, ultimately we read it. You read it for to learn. This is why we read the Old Testament. We learn about the nature and character of God and the nature and character of man in general. Okay? So, uh, since Jesus shows up in Jericho and meets Zacchaeus, I thought it was cool that we go to Jericho to, we all know, one pivotal event. What is that? Joshua and the, the wall of Jericho, right? That's a cool story. I love that story. It's one of those, like, um, like, you, it's just, yeah, it's like, it's like a movie. It's like somebody should have made this into a movie. It's really cool. And so... 1400 years earlier for those of you who don't know Joshua and Jesus is the same name all right Joshua is Yeshua in Hebrew so Yeshua is a English of the Hebrew Jesus is a English of the yes, the Greek you know version of the name Yeshua so the Greek interpreted and we interpret the Greek into Jesus, but ultimately they're both Yeshua. So the Yeshua that shows up and in, 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 in speaks to Zacchaeus in Jericho and the Yeshua that shows up 1400 years prior point to that Jesus of the future. And let me tell you why. I love these. I love I love doing this. It gets me excited. <laughs> so so let's so so let's look at. Joshua chapter 2. We're going to pick up at verse 8. And if you don't know about Joshua, I love the story. But that's why my son's name is Joshua. So I love that story when they, were, they sent spies into the promised land. This is when, when Moses was still the, the head guy. And they go out and they spy the land. And you got 10 dudes. 8 of them like, we can't do it, man. Like They're like giants and you know, man, we, we can't dis- defeat them. And Joshua was that kind of dude. was like, man, let's go. Let's do it. I ain't afraid. We got the Lord with us. Joshua was that kind of guy. And, you know, the, the anointing or the position of leader of Israel was passed to Joshua. They have another parting of water moment where they the river, everybody remembers that? And they cross the River Jordan and they come into this city called Jericho, which is in the Promised Land. The thing about Jericho is it's fortified. You know, you just used to be slaves, caravan of people. Everybody's hearing about you, your exploits like y'all are y'all ran and got away from the Egyptians, and y'all crossed the Red Sea and all these great things. Now they show up at the doorstep of Jericho, and they're like, how do we defeat these people? They get inside of Jericho, and they send in spies. Spies meet this prostitute named Rahab. And we're going to get into a little bit about her later. I thought we may have talked about her before. They meet Rahab, a prostitute. I don't know about you guys, but these are usually people, but prostitutes are not people of high regard in most societies. I don't know the culture of Jericho, but I would imagine... She is not considered a person of great reputation. So, Rahab, she brings in the the spies, and they they come up with a plan. She heard, so, this is her talking about what she heard about the children of Israel while she was in Jericho. Word spread fast. So, look at verse 8. Before the men laid down the spies, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we heard how the Lord, she keeps referring to his God as the Lord. This is a Gentile prostitute. We heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan and Sihon and Ah, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will deal kindly with my father's house and give me sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother and brother, my brothers and sisters and, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, your life or yours even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, then, we will, then the Lord will give us the land and we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And so they're looking all around. Jericho looking for the spies. And there they are in her house. A prostitute. Not only a prostitute. Because they come to Rahab's house. Do you have, have you seen the spies? She's like nope. think they scaled the wall and left. They were actually in her roof. So she's not only a prostitute. She's a liar. Terrible person. In our like in our minds, economy, right? Like if we're thinking through it, like, oh man, this is a terrible person. She's a prostitute and she's lying. But she's she's praising the Lord. She believes that He is the true God. Now, fast forward some fourteen hundred years, she is in the genealogy of Jesus. That's crazy. She's in the genealogy of Jesus, and because, in my opinion, because of her sermon about how she believes, how Yahweh is the real God, he delivered them, and he can deliver me. I think there's something we can learn from Rahab and Zacchaeus. Because Jesus comes into Jericho, much like the children of Israel came into Jericho. Before we get into these points right here, let me me talk about, let's do a quick review of what God did in Jericho. God comes into Jericho, God sends his children into Jericho. Uh, If you look at the Bible and you say, wow, God of the Old Testament, he's very violent. No, God of the, of the Old Testament is the same God today. He is a God of not only love, but also wrath and judgment. And in the New Testament, since there was no sacrificial lamb slain for all the world, the only way God showed his judgment on evil nations was to send in either fire, flood, and in this case, his people as his instrument of judgment. So they get, so he's, he, he tells Joshua, he speaks directly to Joshua. and He's like, I want you for six days to just walk around once around Jericho. And then on the seventh day, what did they do? Blow the trumpet and then what they supposed to do? Y'all want to shout? All right. So on So on the trumpet blow, they did what? Ah! And can you imagine the terror in the people of Jericho when you hear a million people shout? They shouted, and the walls came down. And archaeologists say that those wall frac, you know, remnants are still there. They go in. And they find the house with the scarlet cord. And God's hand of judgment goes over the house. The house with the scarlet cord was Rahab's house. This is a beautiful sign of salvation. It's a beautiful visual. Much like the blood on the doorpost when before they left Egypt. The same, same, same kind of thing. It's like the... the, 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 the Judgment of God just goes over because it sees something. That's what happens once you get saved. Amen and amen and amen. Rahab wasn't any less of a prostitute or a liar when it came. But God in his goodness and mercy saw that blood, saw that red cord, and his judgment went over it. And that happens to us on a daily basis, y'all. Our sin, even though worthy of judgment, there was blood shed on our behalf. And the judgment of God does this, just goes right over us. He sees the blood. And that's good news. Back to the lost. So what can we learn from Rahab and Zacchaeus and lost people? Much like the spies, much like the children of Israel going into Jericho, much like Jesus going into Jericho, what we got to do for lost people is we have to, lost people are, or is, are, are, all right. What we got to do for lost people, we have to be willing to enter their space. One thing we do as Christians, we, we, we love to huddle up and we love to be comfortable. We'd rather be sparks at a bonfire than light and darkness. This right here is beautiful. This re- it requires work. This morning, we were running like chickens with a head cut off just to pull off what we pulled off. <laughs> but God's call on his church is not for us to seek moments like this where we just surround ourselves with each other, which is great. But we have to be willing to enter the space of lost people. Imagine If the spies or Jesus show up to, Zacchaeus was a terrible person too. If you don't know anything about tax tax collectors uh, in the the New Testament is they were reviled. Y'all know why? This was mafia style tactics. Rome was rich because of tax collectors. Zacchaeus was probably very not intimidating. He's a little dude. But they had such seething hatred of him and couldn't touch him because he would come to their house and ask for money for the empire. He was what they would call a snitch, a traitor, a terrible person in the eyes of the Jewish people. Because he not only took their money to give to the Roman Empire, he also took a lot of it and put it in his pocket. And that's what made him rich. He was rich off of the power of the rulers of that time. That's why he was considered a sinner. He had ill-gotten means. He made a living off the suffering of others. The way you feel about a drug dealer. You should feel about a drug dealer. All right, I'll say that. (laughs) Zacchaeus was reviled. Jesus didn't just walk past him, he called him. Rich young ruler. Lord, Lord, what must I to do to be saved? He went to find Jesus. Rich young ruler. Jesus looks for Zacchaeus. This is how salvation actually works. And nobody I told you, we are saved by grace through faith. It is a completely, 100% God. He, you didn't just because, oh man, I got myself ready, I went to church, I went to this conference, I did this, I did that, I pat myself on the back, I chose Jesus. No. Mm-mm. nope. He saw you sitting there and said, mm, I want you. Come here. And that's good news. That is good news because of my own volition, I wouldn't choose God. He chose us. He chose Zacchaeus. And that conversation between God and lost people may or may not happen in settings like this. It is most likely to happen when you take the opportunity to invade their space. So they walk around Jericho. What what was in front of them? No, I'm talking about as they walked around. Wall was in front of them? Like it was... It was the priest. And what did they have in front of the priest? Come on, Bible scholars, y'all got it. What did they have? They were carrying something. Y'all remember? The Ark of the Covenant, right. And what did that symbolize? God's presence in a sinful, fallen, broken world. God's presence is going around the stronghold. And that's what we actually need to be. We need to be the arcs of the covenant in a sad, broken world. That's how lost people, that's how we're going to tear down strongholds, y'all. It's not going to be sitting in this room thinking about lost people getting saved. It's us actually going into that. That's all his out here, y'all. Just in case y'all didn't know. We need to go into it carrying his spirit before us, not behind us. Not ignoring it. God's spirit going before us to tear down strongholds. And that takes us to the second point. We must be patient with the lost. Salvation is both a destination and a journey. So, Rahab, she, she, she gets saved from Jericho, but then she has to become a Jew. Zacchaeus goes from wicked, evil tax collector to all I have, I give it away. People often defrauded. I give them four times as much. That was the that was the usual compensation to those you have defrauded in the Old Testament. You had to, if you were a thief, if you stole one dollar, you have to pay back four. So he's like, I'm gonna pay back four times what I stole. I'm gonna give it back. If you remember the rich young ruler in, in chapter 18, like he's like, what do I must I do? He said, give it all away. Oh, I don't want to. Zacchaeus wasn't even prompted. He wasn't even told go give it away. It's something about when he came in contact with Jesus that he changed. And what we try to do, we try to do Jesus in the rich young ruler, try to tell people, oh, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this, you need to do that. There's something about when, when, the, when the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin, when the Holy Spirit has that conversation with that person, that without even being prompted they change and if you think about a lot of the sin you put down it wasn't yeah part of it was because the guilt and shame that made people put on you but ultimately those things that the holy spirit impressed upon your heart were the things that stick right those were the things that stick take me to my third point If you're not willing to go into their space, if you're not willing to be patient as people figure out their walk with Jesus, get out of the way. They can't see Jesus. Zacchaeus, small dude. Crowd between him and Christ. Zacchaeus makes his way up a tree. I think sometimes we need to either be the crowd or the tree. We need to be the kind of people that we're willing to allow others to stand on if necessary, even if it's uncomfortable for them to see Jesus. But sometimes in our religiosity, we can be so focused on Jesus that all we do is become obstacles. We need to be we need to be a bridge. We need to be a way to lift people up so they can see Jesus and not stand between them and God. Amen. And I know that's kind of hard because we see people do bad and stupid things. We want them to feel bad about it, but the we're going to get into the to the why here in a second. And th- th- let's just go ahead to that verse and we're going to wrap up here in a little bit. So, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 10 three through six and what a lot of us sometimes we like to guilt people into to, you know coming to church guilt people into reading their Bibles get people into praying and giving um, again we, 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 we want to believe that conviction through the Holy Spirit is way more effective than guilt and shame way more effective 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, or I like the Old Testament says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But have divine power to destroy strongholds. Jericho, strongholds. Sins we're going through, strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Some people like to go through the Bible in a year, kind of take a... um, just. (laughs) Just reading through large volumes of verses. I, I used to do that when I first got saved, like I would just read, 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 read. But much like when you anybody ever been to Ruth Chris? You shouldn't go to Ruth Crisp and right. Chew and savor it. This scripture right here, if you're the kind of person that believes we have to use anger and frustration with this, these evil people to get them to know and love Jesus. I hate seeing these people on social media. They drive me crazy. We are not at war with flesh. The nastiest sinful person you know, think about it. Somebody you're like, oh, that person is going, going straight to hell with gasoline draws. Like they're going, like they're going to burn, all right? the worst person you could possibly know that you would consider a sinner that's destined to a devil's hell. The way, if you read this chapter and kind of chew on it for a minute, we're not dealing with that person. That's flesh. Even if that person's a family member, that's flesh. I'm not at war with that person. I'm I'm at war with the spirits and principalities and demons that are affecting that person. And the way, if you chew on this verse, because you hear Paul in that chapter, he's a little bit frustrated with that church in Corinth, because they're calling them weak. Like, oh, you come, you, you, you write, you write like you're a big dude, but when you get here, you're like, uh, and they're like, they don't want to take him serious. Paul is saying, I'm not one to play with, but I'm not like y'all, I'm not out here trying to walk around my you know like like I'm a, like I'm a strong guy. He's like my warfare is happening, but it ain't happening out here. My enemy is my inner me. That's my real problem. And once I deal with the jerichos in my own heart, once I deal with my own strongholds, Then that if you go back when he's talking about my obedience is complete, like my disobedience is complete when when I obey. You can't set free people when you're bound yourself. And that's my last point. Lost people aren't going to be found. They aren't going to go from sinner to sinless unless we deal with our own personal sin. And maybe you say, oh, I'm a great person. Everybody loves me. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about you being a good person. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. As one theologian put it. If you're living in sin, I don't care if that's um, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Jesus is saying in order for you to overcome that stronghold in, 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 in someone else, it must be first dealt with in you. Amen. And so as we pray, I'm going to call up the worship team as we pray out. I want you to think about your own personal Jericho's. Think about how even in you being found, we that's the worst feeling. Anybody ever been to the mall and you just saw a random kid walking around? All right. That kid belongs to somebody, but he's lost. And being lost isn't just for the low-down, dirty sinner. Sometimes the Lord, he got he's, He loves me, I'm his, but I tend to stray. I tend to start looking at the toys on the shelf and the candy. I start doing my own thing. I start wandering, walking further and further away from my good, good father. Sometimes we can get lost, y'all. Amen? Am I the only, oh, maybe it's just me, All right. <laughs> We could sometimes wander and stray. He's not lost. We are. He's not. And so, as we pray, think about how we so easily stray from the Lord. Pray for that. And I want you to think about three people in your life. And we're going to pray for that person, too. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for your goodness and mercy towards us. We stray, Lord. We sometimes lose ourselves in our own sin. And we ask, Lord, that you forgive us. And we know, much like the prodigal son, when we turn back to you, you greet us with open arms. Lord, we pray for those who don't know you and our families and, and friends, those that are lost. We set the spiritual framework and foundation for them being saved. We pray first. We want every sin that so easily keeps them bound. Lord, we ask that you set them free. We ask that anything we can do to help get them into your, your presence, whether that's come to church whether that's having a a conversation with them or sharing a word, anything we can do to help change their situation, Lord, that you would give us the wisdom to do it. But first, we ask that you bring them closer to you and use us as an instrument of grace. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, amen. amen.